Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask a couple of people to come up and help me to get started this morning. Ladies, y'all want to come up here? Stand up here for me. I'm going to ask them a couple of questions and let them answer just a few questions for you. I don't even know if this mic's not on. Um, to help us out, um, how many of you out here have seen the movie Frozen? Let me see your hands. A few? A few of you? Well, good. Then they're going to help you out and learn a little bit about the movie Frozen. Uh, girls, have you all seen the movie Frozen? All of you? Okay. Who are the main two characters in Frozen? Go ahead. Elsa and Anna. Elsa and Anna. What, what's so important about Elsa and Anna? They're sisters? Well, tell me about Elsa. How, what's, she, uh, what's special about her? She's got power. She's been cursed, and uh, she makes winter, frozen things, uh, appear when she loses her emotions. Uh, what happens when they're little that becomes a big deal? What happens? Um, they're, like, um, they're playing in a room, and then they, like, make this room, like, all snowy, and her sister straps her with her powers, and it makes, like, her sister like, pass out or something, or the two sisters are playing when they're little, and the one, the older sister, accidentally uh, uses her powers to freeze her sister's brain and uh, to start it to freeze. And so they separate the two sisters, don't they? And so they grow up in separate rooms. Or does that make them happy? Sad? Sad. Sad. They don't get to spend time with each other. Uh-uh. What happens when they get big? When they, uh, what happens at the ball when they all come together and she's learned how to control it? Go ahead. She gets mad and she loses control, doesn't she? And they, people are scared of her. And so what happens? The curse leaves her and goes where? And it goes all around the water and she goes in the mountains and makes a big ice castle where she's singing. Goes everywhere in the land. She sings Let It Go. Has anybody heard Let It Go? Some of you have heard Let It Go, whether you wanted to or not, probably, if you're grandparents. Uh, what, what, what does her sister do after she runs off? Go ahead. Yeah, what does Anna do after her sister leaves? Go find her. So they get some companions and they try to find her. And then that all comes to the climax of the movie. Give these girls a hand for helping us fill in. So thank y'all girls. Thank y'all. And for wonderful singing. Y'all did a great job. Y'all wonderful job. So what a blessing. What a blessing. You want, didn't want to answer questions? I got you. I'm like that too. So thank you all very much. Uh, this year is, has uh, been called the year of Christian movies. The, uh, there seems to be more Christian movies or movies aimed at Christians this year than pretty much any time in my lifetime that I can remember uh, from uh, the extended version of the New Testament that was done. It was the Son of God and you had Noah and God's not dead and heaven is for real uh, all coming out around the same time. And so people have been pretty excited in Christian circles and uh, Mom's Night Out's now out and it has a little hint of some Christian theme. And uh, so there's a lot of movies reaching the Christian audience. And so people have asked me the last several months, which one do I like the most? Which one do I think is the most important? Or really, which one will have the most effect? And my answer uh, has surprised many of them, and, and they always come back with not understanding because uh, it doesn't sound like a Christian movie. But my, my favorite of all of them is the movie Frozen, which is a Disney cartoon. They say, well, it's not Christian. Well, is it not? Uh, just because it's not geared towards Christians or just because it's not put out by a Christian company 
Does that make it not Christian? Uh, they said the same thing about Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, while Frozen is not intentionally uh, written by a Christian or geared towards Christians, it's Disney, so we know that's probably not true. Uh, it's an allegory. And in being an allegory, what it does is it paints a picture, much like the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, of uh, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, probably clearer than anything that an uh, overtly Christian movie ever could have done. And it has done phenomenal. Uh, I think it will have lasting effects for generation upon generation. Uh, matter of fact, I think your grandkids, grandkids, grandkids uh, will still be singing Let It Go, and they'll still be watching the movie Frozen. And uh, Disney had no idea that in producing and directing and leading this movie that it would have such an incredible effect. Matter of fact, it has become the number one uh, grossing cartoon of all times, uh, over $1 billion uh, amount of money made off of the cartoon. It's still in theaters around the world, and uh, that's not including video. So it's going to be phenomenal. The number one song, Let It Go, uh, sung by Adina Menzel, won an Academy Award. Uh, it was the number one song on all the Billboard charts through most of the winter. Uh, the CD, or album, as you and I used to call it, has been the number one uh, on the pop charts, and it's children's music. Uh, matter of fact, Disney re-released the song Let It Go with Demi Lovato, who's a popular Disney Disney character singing, it's had over 150 million views on YouTube. Now, I know for some of you that are not on the computer all the time, that's quite a few views from a children's song uh, that's not even the original version. There are so many kids singing Let It Go, and if you're a grandparent that has grandchildren that love Frozen, you know, uh, or a parent that has heard it, uh, it has had a backlash. Parents have pushed back. They don't want to hear it anymore. It is, uh, it's gotten old. I've got friends that have children that have uh, used singing Let It Go as punishment, saying you can't sing uh, this song because you didn't clean your room, or they set aside uh, uh, discipline time and say you can only sing during this time and this time. We don't want to hear it the rest of the time. And, uh, it is a wonderful song, and if you hadn't heard it, I played it in the early service with a video, uh, but it just sticks in your mind. Uh, what's amazing to me is so many people that have seen the movie, they don't know that it is based on a short story by Hans Christian Andersen that came out in 1844. You see Hans Christian Andersen, famous uh, writer who many Disney movies were based on Andersen's stories, uh, was an incredible Christian, follower of Jesus Christ, and uh, he taught children in his church, and he had a desire to find a way to allow children to understand the message of Jesus Christ in a way that they could relate to. And so he wrote this poem, which was known as the Snow Queen, and it received uh, rave reviews. It was a very popular poem, uh, painting imagery uh, of what it looks like to give your love for somebody else. Uh, and the movie, to Disney's credit, keeps most of the themes that are in Anderson's uh, short story in his book in the movie. They add some songs because they're Disney and added some other things. Uh, but most of the central theme, the theme of redemption, the theme of self-sacrifice is found there. Matter of fact, Anderson was so influential. Some of you that are uh, C.S. Lewis fans may recognize from the Chronicles of Narnia, he used the Snow Queen as his image of the White Witch in the Chronicles of Narnia and also the curse that was around the lands in Narnia. The curse of winter comes from Anderson's book. And so it, was, it's a, it is a wonderful, wonderful 
picture. And so for those of you that hadn't seen it, let me just give you a synopsis that's not as entertaining or good as what the ladies gave, but just to help you get a picture and idea of what the story of Frozen and Snow Queen is all about, it is two sisters, Elsa and Anna. Elsa's the oldest sister. Uh, she is cursed or she is gifted, depending on your outlook, uh, with the ability to control weather, control winter, control snow and ice. And when she loses her emotions, it, it tends to affect other people. And early on, as her and her younger sister Anna are playing, uh, she lets loose and her sister is harmed. And so the parents, thinking the best way to protect both sisters, they raise them separated in their castle, not seeing each other. In the movie, you see both of them longing for that sisterly love that they missed out on. Well, as she got older, and they began to tell her that the way to uh, handle her curse was to learn to control it, to control her emotions. And so she, th she thought she had it under control. She goes to a ball. She has a glove on to protect others and herself. She gets emotionally uh, angry. She takes her glove off, and, and it is let loose. And the people in town uh, begin to call her a monster. And out of fear, she flees. And as she flees, the curse leaves her. She still has it, but it becomes a bigger curse into the whole community. And it, it winter comes to the whole area. Uh, the curse is now a part of all of the towns and all of the area. Winter has come, and there's no hope for spring. So the young sister, Anna, goes in search of her older sister. And that's where the, the heart of the movie is. It's part of this search. She discovers friends, as the girl said, a snowman and a reindeer. There's a love story involved because it is Disney. There's a prince that you think is a good guy who turns out to be a bad guy. And then there's a bumbling goof who ends up being the good guy. And so it all happens as they go. And uh, the climactic scene of the movie uh, as, as they are talking and, and trying to find her, the older sister Elsa uh, accidentally again curses winter on her sister. But this time it's not her head, it's her heart. And earlier Olaf the snowman has explained it's dangerous to have a frozen heart uh, because it will affect your whole body. Your frozen brain, you can, you can do okay with that. But a frozen heart, you'll never live a good life. And so as she's been cursed with this frozen heart, she is beginning to turn to ice. And so they go to find her sister to have her break the curse. And uh, all of us know what is breaks the curse in all Disney movies. Uh, I mean, how, if the princess is in trouble, what does she turn to? What, what does she turn to? What does she look for? True love's kiss, right? Always have to find true love's kiss. So she goes in search of true love's kiss. And uh, she finds out the one she thought was in love with her was not. So she gets the bumbling guy, Kristoff, to come and kiss her. And, and in the climactic scene, uh, she's freezing. She's turning to ice. And uh, she's laying there. And as Kristoff is coming to give her true love's kiss to break the curse, she looks over and her sister has fallen. And the, the other prince has taken out a sword thinking that if I kill uh, the older sister Elsa, then the curse will be broken. And as he begins to get his sword and lay it into her, the younger sister walks away from her redemption, the true love's kiss, and she throws her frozen, quickly freezing body in front of her sister. And as the sword comes down, it comes across her frozenness. And see, this is where Disney throws us for a loop because it, we discover that it's not true love's kiss that breaks the curse. It's the sacrificial love of one to another. And as the sister offers her life for her older sister, the cursed one, the curse is broken. Her heart begins to melt. And uh, it's probably one of the most incredible pictures in a child's cartoon of the redemption that Jesus Christ showed us when he gave his life. Uh, most people don't see it because they're 
not looking for it, not recognizing it, but it's so incredibly obvious because what happens is the one who was not cursed became cursed. See, the one who wasn't affected by the curse became cursed and then gave her life to break the curse to save the one she loved. That's redemption. Winter disappeared. It was a happy ending. The story uh, was a great picture of what love is. And there's a lot of things we could examine. I'll be honest with you, it's an allegory. So not all allegories are perfect. Some of them fail. Some of them fall short. None of them are perfect. But this is pretty good. And I, I think what an incredible way to use an open door for grandparents and parents and aunts and uncles to use this story to share what Jesus has done for you and I, to talk about what it means to have unconditional sacrificial love. And, and it's amazing to me that Disney, who unbeknownst to them, God uses this company, this company that probably wouldn't understand what, what it means to follow Christ or Christian morals. God uses this company to, to show his message of love to the world uh, for generation after generation. And that's just the way God works. Uh, the reason I wanted you to hear the story, the reason I wanted the girls to share it, is for this idea of self-sacrificing love. Because you see, when we talk about the redemption story, when we talk about what Christ has done, uh, we think that self-sacrificing love is all there is to it. But it really isn't. You see, there's a personal call to those of us that claim the name Jesus Christ when it comes to this self-sacrificing love. There's something beyond the redemption story. You see, it's introduced early in the movie when the, the snowman, Olaf, the girls were talking about, he, uh, as her heart was frozen, he figures the way to defrost her heart is get her in front of a fire. Well, snowmen can't stand in front of fires. And he's stoking the fire, and as he's doing it, he's melting. And she says, no, you, you can't do this. You'll, you'll die. You'll melt. You'll cease to exist. And he says, you don't understand. Love means giving of yourself, sacrificing yourself for the needs of others, even when it hurts. And you see, it's this picture of love. It's this picture of uh, love that we find in the New Testament. It's a perfect definition of the agape love used to describe an unconditional self-sacrificing love. A love that gives of itself for others even when it hurts. See, it's that kind of love that is shown in this children's cartoon that God is calling you and I to. Let me bring this to a more personal level. If you have your Bibles, turn to our passage real quickly. John 13, just two verses this morning. John 13, Jesus is, this is John's version of Jesus' final night with his disciples. It's the night before he is crucified. It's when he does the, the last supper, as we call it, the final communion. As he's teaching them, he's teaching them that he is about to die. They don't understand it. They don't have a clue. He's teaching them about what they're supposed to do after he dies. They don't understand it. They're questioning it. And in the middle of that, these two verses come out. And I want you to hear them. Verse 34 and verse 35 of chapter 13. He says, A new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Now the thing that jumps out to me when I read this, and the thing that I, I looked over so many times and I didn't really understand it, is this idea he says there, a new command that I give to you, love one another. 
And I thought, why is that a new command? I mean, John is the love gospel. John has been telling us to love others all throughout Jesus' teaching. Uh, he tells us to love our neighbors, and, and that's where we have a who is my neighbor. You know, he tells us that we're supposed to love those that are separated from God. We're supposed to have love for others. So why in the world would Jesus here on the night before he dies, gathered with his closest friends, say, I'm going to give you a new command. I'm going to tell you something new. See, it's not a throw-off statement. See, what he's saying is it's not about loving your neighbors. You're called to do that. It's not about loving the lost, reaching out to them. You're called to do that. He said, but I'm going to give you a command, not a call. I'm not talking about loving out there. I'm talking about loving in here. Because you see, the love that he is calling the disciples to is to unconditionally, he uses the word agape there, unconditionally love fellow brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And it was so important to him that he called it a command. So important to him that, that he says, we are commanded to love unconditionally. You know, the Bible in the New Testament uses three words for love. You have eros, romantic love, phileo, which is uh, brotherly love, and then agape, which is uh, this supernatural, this unconditional uh, self-sacrificing love. And Jesus uses that term there. And it's not just some trite, churchy statement. I know we say it all the time. I love you and we love each other. Every, it's, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, listen, I am calling you to love those in the body of Christ with an unconditional, self-sacrificing, giving of yourself, action, love. And just to make sure they understood it, he put a caveat. He said it a second time. He said, as I have loved you, because they say, well, what do you mean love? As I have loved you, you love one another. See, he's not saying that, that we're just to say it. He's not saying it's just to be a brotherly pat on the back love. What he's saying is that in every way that I interact with another follower of Jesus Christ, in every way that I interact with another believer, everything I say, to them and about them. Every way that I treat them, the way that I look at them, the way I think about them, it has to be permeated, saturated in agape love. Maybe you didn't hear that. What Jesus was commanding the body of Christ, church, is that everything that I say to and about them and the way I treat them, the way I look at them, the way I think about them, everything is to be wrapped and saturated in unconditional love. Let that sink in for a minute. See, it wasn't a suggestion. It wasn't just an, oh, by the way. It wasn't just a, hey, before I go, y'all love each other. Y'all treat each other right. You know, we do that with our kids, right? You're walking out of the house. Hey, while I'm gone, y'all treat each other okay. Y'all don't kill each other. Don't burn the house. That's not what Jesus was doing. Jesus said, wait a minute. Look at me. I've got a new command to you. You know why? Because Jesus knew how tough it was going to be. Jesus knew where they were headed. Jesus knew the persecution. And he knew the only way they would make it, the only way the message would get out, is if it came from a heart that was overflowing with love for one another. It was a command. You notice he didn't say, love one another if you all agree. He didn't say love one another if you see things the same way or love one another if you worship the same way or worship at the same time or even worship at the same church. 
He didn't say love one another if you're the same denomination or the same color or the same economic structure, the same social values. He didn't even say love one another if you like them. He said, I'm commanding you to agape your brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't know what you're saying. We say, oh, but I love, I love everybody, right? I love everybody at the church. I love everybody with that other church. Really? Let me test it. Do they know that you love them? Do they see it? More importantly, do others know that you love that person? By how you talk about them? By how you treat them? See, the question is, are your words and actions proved out? Because Jesus goes even further here. He says the body's called to love each other. But he says the reason we're called to do that is because we will be able to identify other Christ followers by the way they love each other. Now I know we sing they will know we are Christians by our love. But you see in the first century, the only way they could know if someone was a follower of Jesus Christ was because they were supposed to be different in the way they loved. That's what Jesus is talking about. You see, in the early church, you, you didn't have bumper stickers. You didn't have T-shirts. You didn't have fish on your car, big church buildings and signs and advertisements and web pages. There was no way to figure out who was the church. What Jesus is saying is there is going to come a time very soon that when others are around and you're in a, a group and you see somebody, you'll be able to say, that's part of my body. They're like me. That Jesus' blood goes through their veins like it flows through my veins. Not because of what they're wearing or, or what they're saying, but because I can tell they love. And that love draws me to them. He says, you'll be able to tell by their love. See, all those other things come and go. Love is the only thing that stands the test of time. That's why Paul tells the Corinthian church, you can talk as spiritual as you want. You can, you can put on a spiritual show. You can kumbaya all the time. You can tell everyone in town, everyone in your area, how spiritual you are, how deep your walk is, how great you, you're doing with the Lord. But if you don't love other believers in action and words, all that other stuff is useless. That's, that's 1 Corinthians 13. You probably recognized it. See, 1 Corinthians 13 was written to a church that was not loving each other. See, what, what Jesus was telling them is he's not talking about what we say and do on Sundays or Wednesdays or during Sunday school because we put on our best show most of the time. See, what Jesus was saying is you should be known by your love when you go out there. I wonder this week if someone, another believer, another follower of Christ was around you, not with you, just around, your peripheral. I wonder if they would have heard from you or saw how you acted. They would identify you as a Christ father according to this criteria. Because see, Jesus said they should. I wonder if they would sense and see so much love that you have for other believers, even those that you don't like, get along with, go to church with, other color, that you are so overwhelmed with love for them that they would be drawn to have that kind of love. So how are we doing on this command? 
2,000 years ago, Jesus said, you're the church. Gates of hell will not prevail against you. Built on the gospel, the sacrifice, and love of Jesus Christ. And how are we doing? Well, sociologists tell us that we're losing an entire generation of young people. When I say young people, I mean 30 and under that are walking away from the church. If statistics are true, the one behind them is following them out. Even more frightening to me is there's a big gap of those that have spent more than 20 years in church that are walking away from the church. Older people that have taught Sunday school and gone to church and they're getting 40 and 50 and 60 and they're saying, I'm not going back. You see, these people are not rejecting Jesus. The people that are walking away, this generation, the people that are leaving church, they're not rejecting Jesus. Matter of fact, 20 to 30-year-olds are considered one of the most spiritual-seeking generations that we've seen in the last 200 years. They are hungry for truth. They are hungry for something authentic. They are hungry to see something that they can put their faith into. You see, they're not rejecting Jesus. They're rejecting the church. Because they look at what we do and they listen to how we act. How we treat one another and they don't see anything they can invest their life in. Listen to me. Denominations are fighting other denominations. Denominations are fighting within themselves and all of them. All Christian denominations in the United States are on the decline. Churches are competing and fighting against other churches. We compete with the ones down the road, the ones in the next area. Uh, we argue and we, we, we put them down. We celebrate when they have difficulties. We, we're happy when they go through problems. Because we're more about stealing sheep than we are reaching the lost. We get into competitions with other bodies. And even within the own local church, all local churches, gossip and backbiting and tearing down and fighting and division and divisiveness. Listen to me, it's not of God. It's not God. We are commanded to celebrate one another, to pray for one another, to love one another, to lift one another up. We should be working together when the church down the road has revival and hundreds get saved. We should be the first to shout and say hallelujah. When things are going bad in another church, we should be the first that are there to pray with them and help them as they struggle. Instead of celebrating, instead of being jealous, we are the body of Christ. We're called to encourage and lift each other up. We're called to help each other, to celebrate, work together. Paul told the Philippian church, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is uplifting and encouraging. The body of Christ needs uplifting and encouragement. So where is the love this morning? Where is the love that Olaf explained to Anna in the movie? Where is the love that Anna displayed to save her sister's life? Where is the love that Jesus demonstrated and then commanded you and I to show? Where is it? Where is the agape in the body of Christ? I'm going to close. And I'll help us out a little. Because just like you, I struggle. We all struggle. Because self-sacrificing love doesn't come naturally. It's not just who we are. It has to be something we disciple and discipline ourselves. And we have to get out of the way and let Jesus take over. 
You know why we struggle with it? You know why we struggle as churches? You know why we struggle as individuals? Because anytime we hear a message like this, and even as I was preaching, most of us are so busy thinking of somebody we know, maybe at this church, maybe another church, that needs to hear this message. See, when we hear these kind of messages, we sit back and think, oh, I, I need to get a copy of that and somehow slip it to so-and-so because she doesn't. That, that's talking about her. That's talking about him over at that other church. I didn't see him. You know what happens? You look around, are they here today? They need to hear this. I'm sending in the website. They need to, because we spend all of our time doing that. And in doing that, we miss the still small voice of the Holy Spirit saying it was for you. Where's the agape in your life? Where's the agape that you show? And I know if you're like me, we rationalize. Pastor, you don't know what they did to me. I've been hurt. You don't know what they didn't do and they should have done. You don't, don't know how they hurt me. You don't know what they said. They took, we take up somebody else's offense. You don't know what they did to so-and-so. You don't know what happened, Pastor. And we start throwing out comments like I have a right. Pastor, I have a right to be offended. I have a right to be mad. I have a right to be hurt. I have a right to be angry. No, you don't. Because you see, you gave up those I have a rights when you took his nail-scarred hand. She gave up that right to be wronged and wounded and hurt and angry and unforgiving when you accepted his forgiveness. You gave up that right when you accepted His grace and His mercy. The most popular song in the movie Frozen is a song called Let It Go. Once you hear it, it gets stuck in your head. It goes over and over. But you see, I think that's the solution for us this morning. No matter what's going on in your life, I think what holds us back from giving agape is we won't receive agape. And the reason we can't receive it is because we won't let go. Won't let go of those wrongs. Won't let go of those hurts. Won't let go of those perceived injustices. You know, I, I know people in the church years. person in your Sunday school class hurts you. A staff member hurts you. Somebody at a church hurts you. And we go to another church and think that'll solve everything. But we carry the hurt with us. And it just makes us more and more angry. And we can't let agape out. You see, you can't give until you let go. And just like that was the answer in the movie Frozen, it's time for us to let it go. The hymn writer had it right when he said, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Let it go. Let it go. All that effort, time, and energy you spend trying to uphold and spread the right to be mad, angry, and wronged, let it go. Because you see, winter is gone. The curse is broken. And you and I have a new command. Love. Agape. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the truth that penetrates our heart that comes from a children's movie. A cartoon that we play through or skip or bypass. God, there are some in here that could impact this community, this body, this world for Christ if they'd only let go and let you. Give it over to God. 
Give that hurt, that angry, that unforgiveness, that wrong. God, you, you command us to love in word and in deed and all that we do. To celebrate the body. Let us celebrate the body. Not this body, all but the body. God, there's a world turning away because of us. Turning away by the way we treat each other, the way we, things that we talk about. God, let us be about love, nothing else. Let us let, let it go, God. In your name I pray. Amen. We're going to have a time of invitation. So it'll come in just a moment. The altars will be open if you want to pray. I'll be here at the front if you'd like to pray. But this hymn we're going to sing is one that all of us know. I surrender all. See, it's easy for us to say, I surrender this and I surrender that. God said, I want it all. And this morning as we sing this song, I'm going to ask you, I believe, as I was teaching, God put something on your heart that you didn't hold on to. Something that's been keeping you from loving. Loving that person down the road. Loving that person in that class or on the other pew or in the other service or at the next church. And just holding on tight to it because it feels good. Why not surrender it to him this morning? Just to cast all your anxieties on me. The things that eat you up. And I will give you rest. I surrender all. You do what God's calling you to do as we worship. Would you stand as Sid comes? 275. I pray this week, uh, if you haven't seen the movie, go see it. See if it jumps out to you the way it did to me. But more importantly, those of you that haven't heard the song, let it go. Uh, you, you will this week. Because uh, I believe uh, that somewhere you're going to hear it when God's wanting to remind you that you need to let that go. Whatever it is that's holding you back. You're going to be in the car and you're going to be angry or something's going on. All of a sudden that's going to come on the radio and you're going to say, hey, wait, that's that song. It's not just a song, it's the Holy Spirit's reminder. You're called and commanded. Love. Let it go. Let it go. I pray God bless you this week. I pray He keep you. Thank you. Those that are visitors, those from out of town, those that uh, are here just for the week, up for the week, I thank you for coming this morning and worshiping with us. I pray God's blessed you. I pray He's spoken to you and challenged you and talked to you. And I pray as we walk out this door that we will love you.